Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Today I want to preach on agents of healing. Matthew 9, verse 35. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. As Jesus began his ministry, he first found fame as a healer. Uh, Let's say it this way. The crowds came for healing and stayed for the sermon. But what originally, initially attracted people was that there was a healer. Now, the people did hear the good news that Jesus was proclaiming about the kingdom of God as good news, but it was, first of all, that they needed a healer. And Jesus was that healer, and that's what attracted them, the healer that was the new prophet from Nazareth. Now, the reason that Jesus' opponents, and he had opponents from the very beginning, the reason that Jesus' opponents couldn't just dismiss him theologically, I mean, basically their disagreement was theological, that was the problem that the Pharisees and the Sadducees both had with Jesus, Well, the reason they couldn't just dismiss him theologically was that they could not deny the miracles of healing that Jesus was performing. Now, some of the Pharisees tried this move. They said, well, he heals the sick by the power of Beelzebub. He's doing this work of healing by the power of the devil. That, Jesus says, is is broaching on insulting the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that. That's what that's about. And first of all, it didn't work with the people anyway. So when some of the Pharisees, well, yeah, I know he's healing the sick, but, uh, you know, he's doing it by the power of the devil. And people are going, I don't think, I don't think so. You think a demon can open the eyes of a man born blind? I don't think that. I don't think that's what's going on here. And the more principled Pharisees didn't go down that road either like Nicodemus, who was a prominent teacher among the Pharisees. And he comes to Jesus by night and says, we know that you are sent by God because no one can do the signs that you're doing unless they come from God. So the miracles of healing were a confirmation that Jesus was sent from God. And the healings were a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. But it was also healing in its own right. It was just, you know, they were coming because it was, they were being healed. In a world where medical care was primitive or in places non-existent, I mean, come on, you need a healer, right? You know, I mean, you know, Perry broke her wrist real bad and, and she's had two surgeries and all kinds of excellent medical care. That's great, but what if you don't have that? What if you live in a time or a place where that's not even available? Well, you can see then how how important a healer would be. And that's why the crowds are coming to Jesus. 
And for them, a healer is a savior. And now we've moved into actually the theological point. We've moved, we've moved to the theological point when we see Jesus as a healer who is savior. So Jesus is our savior as a healer. We talked about this some last Sunday. Jesus treated sin not primarily as a legal issue, but a therapeutic issue, which for many of us, that will involve kind of a change of perspective, a change of thinking, oh, it's not so much that I need a lawyer, I need a doctor. Jesus treats sin as a therapeutic issue primarily. Jesus said that sinners were sick and they needed to be in the care of a physician and Jesus is the doctor that treats sinners with the medicine of mercy. That's what we talked about last Sunday. So Jesus healing the sick is both the curing of real physical maladies and a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's both. I mean, it's, it's both just actually healing people of physical maladies, but it's also a sign of what the kingdom of God looks like. So the kingdom of God looks like what? It looks like lepers healed and restored to their community. So you know, you know that leprosy was this dread disease that those that were afflicted by it were banished from their community. They had to leave their home, their families, and they live in a leper colony. And so imagine, you know, a leper healed can come back home, can be restored to his family, his community. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's like the maimed and the lame able to walk again. Hallelujah. It looks like a man born blind, able to see for the first time. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It's a sign of what they, oh, we could, I see now. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like the demonized set free and restored to the right mind. It looks like a woman that the doctors could not help finally being healed. It looks like a little girl raised from the dead and restored to her family. That's the ultimate picture. That's, that's the great hope, the blessed hope. That's apocatastasis. That's the restoration of all things. A little girl raised from the dead and restored to her family. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And then Jesus sent his 12 disciples on a mission to do what he says. So he, he selects his 12 and he officially says, okay, these are my 12 apostles. And he sends them on a mission throughout Galilee to do what he has been doing. Matthew 10, verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 with these instructions. Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So Jesus sends out his 12. He has other followers, but these are the 12 that are reconstituting a remade Israel. You know, Israel has its 12 tribes and Jesus is, is reconstituting, recapitulating, recreating Israel. And so he has his 12 apostles and he sends them out on a mission to preach the good news, to say the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is, go, on, go into the cities and announce to people the kingdom that comes from heaven. The kingdom of God, God's reign and rule, it's near, it's right at hand. 
Reach out and take hold of it. Don't miss it. Here it is. It's arriving right now. And so that's what they're preaching. And then they healed the sick to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like. Now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we have no accounts of the disciples healing the sick. We're told, Mark tells us that uh, they anointed the sick with oil and, and they were healed, but there's no actual account. We don't, we don't have a story of Peter or James or John or someone like that anointing someone with oil, laying their hands on them and healing them because in the gospels, the light shines on Jesus. The light's just shining on Jesus. So we're told that they did go out to heal and they did heal, but we don't have accounts of it. But then when we get to the book of Acts, we have plenty of accounts. So Peter and John, the gate called beautiful, they healed the man that was lame, right? And then, and then we have some, some really incredible, wild accounts. Uh, Peter's shadow was apparently healing people. That's impressive. Yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't, how's that work? Okay. There you go, buddy. All right. You got to get the sun just right. Paul is uh, handkerchiefs taken from his body. We're healing people. Paul says, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't go around. Well, can we just take a handkerchief from you? Got a handkerchief? All right, we'll take that. And people are being healed. Demons coming out. And both Peter and Paul raised people from the dead. You know, Peter raises Dorcas, Tabitha from the dead. Paul raises that kid that fell out of the window. I mean, if your sermon is so boring that people are dying, you're probably obligated to raise him from the dead. <laughs> so this is part of the glorious history of apostolic Christianity. Said this way, St. Peter and St. Paul had astounding miracles of healing and even raised the dead. But I also want to say this. I just want to say this. We don't need to feel pressure to duplicate the acts of the apostles. Now, I, I believe in healing. I believe in all that. But we don't, we, well, how come, how come you not? Well, I'm not a, an apostle. I mean, raising the dead's a tall order. I'm not dismissing it out of hand, but I'm just saying that's a tough one right there. And so we have the account of apostolic Christianity that is part of our history. It's awesome, but we're not apostles. And, and uh, so maybe we can be agents of healing in our own way. Again, I'm not, just, I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm just saying I don't think you need to take that pressure on yourself. Has anybody, if you grew up in a charismatic or Pentecostal enough church, at times you felt that pressure. It's like, I got to be doing this stuff. And dang, seems to be hard. <laughs> Maybe I'm just preaching to myself. Could be. It's possible. Um, so I don't, I don't discount miracles of healing. I, I totally believe in healing. I've been healed. We're going to pray for the sick to be healed today. Um, but maybe we can hear the call of Jesus to heal the sick and cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons like this. Heal broken lives. Go out and heal broken lives. This, this is Celebrate Recovery. Wonderful ministry we have in this church led by the inevitable 
Tyrese Barnett. There he is. There he is. Uh, I mean, can, can I get a witness, Tyrese? Are you guys healing broken lives? People show up broken. They stay with you a while. They stay with the ministry. They stay with the course. And pretty soon they start getting better. So hallelujah. Heal broken lives. We, we should do that. Touch the untouchable. You know, leprosy was such a terrible disease because of what it did to people psychologically. I mean, it's terrible, you know, as a disease itself, but, but you know, you're driven from your family. Yeah, you have to live. If you ever, you're not supposed to come into town, but if you do, you just got to walk through town going unclean, unclean, unclean. What a terrible thing. All right, so are there people in our society who are regarded as social lepers? People of whom others might say, I will have nothing to do with that kind of person. Let's touch them. Let's say, well, I'll have something to do with you. I don't reject you. I don't say your case is hopeless. I don't treat you as a leper. We are to awaken the lifeless. I try to bring spiritual life by preaching Jesus everywhere I go. That's really what I want to do. I, I want to awaken the lifeless with the message of Jesus. I want people to come to spirit, people that are spiritually dead. I want them to, I want them to come to life with what I'm saying about Jesus. And then we can help people recover their true self. That is to set people free from the darkness of non-being. The, the powers of evil trying to create people into what evil actually is, which is no thing, which is non-existent. It doesn't have ontological being. And it's trying to create someone into a person that Jesus would say, I never knew you. You're becoming somebody I never knew. Well, we can bring people out of that darkness into who they really are called to be, the children of God. So here's a question. How should the followers of Jesus be most visibly present in the world? Are, are, you, are, are you followers of Jesus? Yes, I believe you are. So here we are, followers of Jesus in this world. How should we be most visibly present to the wider world? I think a very good answer is we should be most visibly present as agents of healing. It should be said of us. Those are the Jesus people who heal others and help the broken get better. What should be said of Jesus followers is those are the kind of people who carry with them the medicine of mercy. That, that should be our presence in the world. People should say, well, I don't know if I believe everything they believe. I don't know if I agree with them on everything. But you have to admit, those are the people that heal people and they help people get better and they take care of the broken and broken lives. They help put them together. Those are the people you can count on them. They always carry with them the medicine of mercy. That's what should be said. Is that what is being said? Is that what we're known for? I'm talking about the wider body of Christ. And see, if that's not what's said about us, if that's not what's being said about us, maybe we need to reevaluate our mission because Jesus sends us to be agents of healing. And if we're not regarded as agents of healing, then maybe we've done something wrong. I'll put it more clearly. I'll speak more frankly. If we're more known as culture war crusaders than agents of healing, something has gone wrong. If we're more famous 
for being culture war crusaders than being agents of healing who carry with them the medicine of mercy wherever they go. Something has gone wrong, and in fact, something has gone wrong. Now, it may be on the scope of our ability, and I'm sure, I'm sure it is, for us to change the entire reputation of the entire church in America or globally. That's probably not up to us. That's not our task. We couldn't do it anyway. But we can at least make it a reality at Word of Life Church. We can be the kind of church that says, you know what? You know about those Word of Lifers? You know what they are? They're, they're agents of healing. They carry with them their medicine bag. And you know what's in that medicine bag? Mercy. Everywhere they go. They get, are, you, are you down with that? Okay, that's, that's what we want to be. So I'm not done preaching yet, but I want to, right here in the middle of the sermon, I'm going to stop for a moment, and I want us to pray. And I want us to pray together, and I want us to pray the prayer of St. Francis. You ever notice that people who don't like Christianity, I mean, they really don't like Christianity. They still like two people. They like Jesus, and they like St. Francis. <laughs> Nobody doesn't like St. Nobody's like St. Francis. What a, nobody does that. Why? Because he really was an agent of healing. He really did walk the world as the pardon of God. He really did carry with him the medicine of mercy. And so in the spirit of St. Francis, let's, 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 just, let's just pray. Maybe lift your hands or something. Let's, let's pray this together. Pray with me. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. All right, so let me, let me speak a little bit uh, very pastorally because I, I don't want this sermon just to be abstract. We live in an angry and mean-spirited age, a volatile age that perpetuates rage. Well, you're, you're aware of this. And so, see, rage when, if I can say this, rage when somewhat theatrically presented draws a crowd. People will be drawn as a crowd, the crowd is untruth, but people will be drawn as a crowd to see a theatrically enraged person if they are somewhat eloquent in the presentation of their rage. And so because the crowd gathers around the enraged orator, the, the enraged presenter, because the crowd, and, and the presenter doesn't have to actually be all that enraged, they just need to act like they are, because that's what draws the crowd. And then because you got a crowd, the advertisers show up. And they'll say, well, you're drawing a crowd with your rage. We'll, can we sell our product on your show? And they say, well, sure, you just pay us money and we can, we'll work out an arrangement here. And so... It's night after night, day after day, this perpetual rage brought to you by 
Old Spice deodorant or whatever it is. I mean, they don't say it quite like that. They, they keep it hidden. That would be letting the cat out of the bag, as we say. But that's what's going on. Theatrical rage draws a crowd. Advertisers say, up and say you got a crowd. We want to promote our project. Okay, we'll pay you money. Just stay enraged. Stay theatrical about your rage because that keeps the crowd. And this, this rage brought to you by Tide or whatever. I know, I'm just making things up. The heroes of this inflammatory age are often those most skilled in rhetorical evisceration. By, I mean, by that I mean the heroes of this enraged age are those that are most skilled at cutting people to pieces, putting people down, eviscerating them with their rhetorical skills. Our angry age applauds those who can most viciously dismiss their opponents. This is the current zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. And guess what? It's not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Christians get drawn into this as much as anybody. Because there's a certain ilk of Christian that feels that to be enraged at certain things that are, in their estimation, sinful must necessitate in holiness. But it doesn't. It's just hatred and rage and all of that. So it's not the Holy Spirit, this zeitgeist of rage. In fact, the Bible offers a counter narrative regarding those who employ vicious language. Proverbs 12, 18. There are those whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Oh, that's a good proverb. That's one of the better ones. That's one of the, I might even, for, for us, I might even put that in the top 10. There are those whose words are like sword thrusts. And they're, they're skilled, they're good at it. They've practiced a lot. There are those whose words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If our words are used to cleverly cut people to pieces, we are not wise, we're just mean. That's all we are. We're not smart, we're not gifted, we're not, certainly not wise, we're just mean. Our words are to bring healing and Jesus sends us out as agents of healing, not as crusaders. Jesus doesn't send us out to attack people or to hurt people. Jesus sends us out to heal people. I feel like this is like basic stuff, <laughs> but sometimes, you know, the basic stuff needs to be said repeatedly. So beware of wanting to champion a cause instead of bringing people the good news of Jesus. Beware of, but just beware of causes in general. I'm not saying you can't have some, but be careful with them. Our zeal for a cause, no matter how righteous we think the cause is, our zeal for a cause can become an unholy crusade if we end up hating those who oppose our cause. I mean, your cause may, I'm not even going to, it may be righteous. I will grant you that I'm convinced it's righteous in your own mind. You might be right. But there is a kind of zeal for a cause, righteous though it may be, that becomes an unholy crusade if what it does is engender 
hate. Jesus sends us out to be healers, not crusaders. That, that right there, that probably should have been the title of this sermon. I called it Agents of Healing, but alternative title, title just as good, maybe better. Healers, not crusaders. That you can remit, that's what you can take. What, what should you take home with you today? I'm to be a healer, not a crusader. Healers, not crusaders. The crusades, you know, we're talking about an actual historical event that then the word gets used metaphorically. The crusades of the 12th, I mean, the very end of the 11th, 1097 was the first crusade. The crusades of the 12th and 13th centuries are among the most shameful episodes in the long history of the church. You, you know this, right? You, you know this. Um, that we ever adopted the word crusade as a synonym for evangelism. That's appalling. Can I be more blunt? It's stupid. Don't, I mean, why? It's like, yeah, we're going to have an evangelistic witch burning. Yeah, we're holding an evangelistic inquisition. Would you like to come? I don't know how the word crusade got cast in anything other than a deplorable light. And so call your evangelistic efforts anything but that. Just, just that, that word, is that word redeemable? Nope. Just, I'm not going to use that word anymore. Put it, put it there. I'm not going to use that word because it doesn't apply to the method by which we proclaim the good news. We do not evangelize by the sword, either literal or rhetorical. I mean, there's, there's nothing about going out as agents of healing as Jesus sent the disciples and he sends us that should look like Knights Templar. That's, I, I know some people, you know, have, have, have romantic notions about it. Well, fine, you know, have a romantic notion about it, but just don't, don't model that for how you're going to share Jesus with people. So preachers whose sermons are like sword thrusts may be entertaining to some. I know it is. In fact, I know it is. But it's not what Jesus calls us to do. Our words must be healing, not wounding. And so today, as, as I bring this sermon to a close, I want to be a preacher who is an agent of healing. I want to bring you the medicine of mercy. So I'll, I'll say this, God is love and God loves you. And Jesus is the perfect expression of the love of God. The word made flesh is the ultimate act of poetry. That God's logos of love became a human and dwelt among us and we have beheld his beauty full of grace and truth. Yeah, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth comes by Jesus Christ. God so loves the world that he sends his son into the world to save the world. Believe this, believe on Jesus. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. You don't need the logos to become life and person and human flesh and blood just to condemn the world, any old mean-spirited minor prophet can do that. 
God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So if you come to Jesus, I'm going to tell you what's going to, if you come to Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you come to Jesus, Jesus will not reject you. No matter what you've done, doesn't matter. If you come to Jesus, he will not reject you. If you come to Jesus, he will forgive you. If you come to Jesus, he will heal you. So come to Jesus. <laughs> He's your healer. He's your savior. He loves you. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so we'll come to Jesus today. We have the bread and the cup that communicates the body and blood that is communicates the life and love and mercy and grace of Jesus to you. It's free. You don't have to be worthy of it. You don't have to be a member of anything other than, I suppose, the human race. You come. And we'll say, the body of Christ broken for you. Yes, it is. Take the bread. We'll say, the blood of Christ shed for you. Yes, it is. In a mystical, mysterious, sacramental way. Take the bread. Dip it in the cup. And come to Jesus. And receive. in that moment, receive his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. And today... On the, on the far side of the sanctuary down here front, we're going to have pastors to anoint you with oil and pray for your healing also. So come first and receive the sacrament of communion. And then if you're in need of healing, come and receive the sacrament of anointing with oil in the name of the Lord that you might be healed. Those of you online, please just put what your heat just put your name or whatever it is you want prayer for healing in the comments or message us and we will pray for you so agents of healing we need healing ourselves stand with me stand with me and we're going to come to Jesus today he's going to forgive us and he's going to heal us say amen to that and so let's, let's prepare our hearts. Let's first confess our faith and then we'll confess our sins and we'll come to Jesus. Confess this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. 
And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.